Thank you for being perfect in all of your ways um, towards us. Father, we pray for Chris as he comes and brings your word. Pray that you give us ears to hear and help us to actually have what we're learning in our Bible study in our, um, in our lives as students, as um, students. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. Amen. All right. So I know it's, it's relationships and the craziness that often happens in relationships, sometimes like that. Uh, and tonight I'm excited because it's, it's a passage that is somewhat of a love triangle. Um, and it's the love triangle between Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. And uh, some of you have heard this story, maybe from your Sunday school class growing up. But this story is filled with all kinds of things. This is kind of like modern family, Big Bang Theory meets ancient family. Okay, uh, This is a story that is filled with deception. It's a story that's filled with family turmoil. There's a search for love. There's love at first sight. There's true love. There are power plays. There's adultery. There's lying. There's infighting. There's a love triangle, like I said. There's people sleeping around. Literally, there's a competition for having children that's going on in this story. Um, there's in-law problems. It's your average dysfunctional ancient family. Okay, And the point, the amazing thing about the Bible is that it is so real. Okay, it doesn't try to cover these things up. It says, we're pretty messed up. <laughs> and we come from pretty messed up people. But we have an amazing Savior and God is doing things to work His plan in the midst of sin, in the, in the midst of all that kind of stuff. So, the context this, the, tonight is the story of Jacob, one of the patriarchs, okay, who was searching for his wife. And right before this story happened, just to give you a little insight, remember, Jacob, his name means deceiver or heel grabber. He was the twin of Esau. And if you remember any of your Sunday school classes, remember there was the blessing and Jacob and Esau, and there was the big deception where uh, Rebekah told Jacob, hey, um, you, should, you should make this wild game and steal the blessing from your brother Esau who's out in the field. And so you guys know that he... Um, like put goat skins on and made himself smell like a bloody animal and cooked up this meal for his father, uh, uh, Isaac, and basically dis- deceived his way into the blessing of God. So his brother comes back and he is hopping mad after he finds this out. And he wants to kill his brother. Okay, And so in the midst of that, then Isaac and Rebekah send him away to... Rebecca's uncle to find uh, a wife. And so that's where we're going to pick up this story. The passage is long. Stay with me, but we're dealing with idolatry tonight. This is, this is why are relationships so hard? Okay, why are, they, why are they such a mess? Well, the big thing is this passage deals with three major idolat- idolatrous things that happen a lot in relationships. It's the, it's the idol of beauty the idol of romance and intimacy, and the idol of family. Okay, All good things in and of themselves. But what idolatry is, is it becomes the ultimate thing. And it rules everything. 
And that's what idolatry is. It takes a good thing and it makes it an ultimate thing that we bow down to. So as we read through here, I just want you to like pay attention to that. See if you can see, oh, there's the beauty idol. Oh, there's the, there's the, uh, you know, the intimacy romance idol. There's the family idol. Okay. Um, so hear God's word tonight in Genesis 29. And here we go. And I hope it's not going to be too much of a distraction over there, but I'm sure it is. But just try to stay, hang with me. Um, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in the place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, to these, these guys here, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, is, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's... His mother's brother and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. And brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. And then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I will serve you seven years for your daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. That is like Princess Bride right there. (laughs) Then Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. (laughs) Yes, and the Hebrew is even worse than that. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Dun, dun, dun. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you, have you deceived me? Ah, the, dece- the deceiver 
has become deceived. Laban said, it is not so, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return uh, for serving me another seven years. Pretty good deal for Laban. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Billa, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. You still with me? I mean, this is crazy, okay? Stay with me. Okay, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son, and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here's my servant Billah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf. I told you this is like, this is amazing stuff here, isn't it? Uh, that even, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Billah as a wife and Jacob went into her. And Billah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Billah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her ser- servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob. So now we're, now we're stage two into the servants being given to Jacob. Uh, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. This really gets interesting. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. This this is aphrodisiac here. This is The mandrakes were like, Hey, this might get me pregnant. I need to eat the mandrakes. Okay? Uh, but she, but she said to her, "Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also?" <laughs> Rachel said, then, "Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes." <laughs> I mean, when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, "You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes." So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah. And she conceived and bore Jacob's a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. 
And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Okay, so that's pretty exciting stuff. I know it's a long passage, but I wanted to get in that whole thing. Now, some of the things I'm going to talk about tonight, a lot of this comes from Tim Keller's Counterfeit Idols book, which has an amazing chapter on this. So I'm taking some of those ideas and I'm weaving in some of my stuff just to put that out there. This story is Jacob's search for a wife. But what it really is all about, it's really showing the idols that are involved in relationships, and especially in romance, in marriage, in family relationships. And again, the Scriptures are clear. Um, John Calvin said that the, the heart of man is like an idol factory. That deep in our hearts, we take the good things of creation like romance, like sexuality, like relationships, like people, like money, like jobs, like whatever, and we make them into ultimate things to worship and to bow down to. And what happens when we do that is since we replace God in His, in his spot with these idols, they actually uh, destroy us. They actually make us like them. And, and so... Why are relationships so hard? Because ultimately what we do with them is we try to say, this is my salvation. You will be my salvation. If I could just get this girl, if I could just get this guy, or if this would just happen, then life would go well for me. And so we make these things our ultimate things because our, prone, our hearts are prone to worship. Our, our hearts are prone to worship anything else but God. And so this highlights... These, this idea of uh, relationships. And so the, the big three here are, and I would dare say we still have these things, it's, it's the idol of beauty, the idol of romantic intimacy, and the idol of family. And so that's what we're going to break apart tonight and just kind of look at that in this story and try to get underneath and try to think about even our own lives um, and what we do with these things. Um, the, 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 so the first one here is, uh, this, this idol of beauty. Um, and it's Jacob's issue in this story. Uh, he is smitten with Rachel. Uh, he sees that shepherdess in the distance coming in there with the, to water the sheep and he is just blown away. Okay. He is, he is sunk. He is just floating down the river. Like there's nothing that's going to save this boy. He is gone. Okay. Uh, Counting Crows has a song. You guys remember Counting Crows? I'm like going way back. Mr. Jones, you know, and and it, it talks about this great line in there, but it talks about you know um, uh, beauty. He, he's he's watching the, this dancer, and it, he says like she's suddenly beautiful. We all want something beautiful. I wish I was beautiful. And uh, you know this is this is what Jacob is dealing with. Um, and how do we know that it's the idol beauty? How do we know that attraction has just overwhelmed him? Well, 
In verses 9 to 11, we see that he just leaps to action. As soon as he sees her, he's gone. It says, As soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock. It's like, and then he kisses Rachel and he weeps. And so, it's kind of like he didn't really do any introductions or anything. He is leaping to action. He's rolling the stone back. He's doing all of these things. It's, it's almost as if he is saying, Rachel, I've come, I am your man. I've come to save the day. Let me roll this huge stone away and feed this and and uh, and water your sheep. There's a biblical commentator by the name of Derek Kidner. He talks about how you know Jacob is making a grand entrance here. Um, he goes to work, and it's all in the presence of Rachel because he is so smitten by her. Um, now, in contrast to this. A few chapters before, there was another search for a wife when Isaac's servant went to search for a wife. And one of the things that's noted about that story when he found Rebekah was that he prayed and he sought the Lord. He was was looking for his master. He was looking for this woman, for Rebekah. But he was seeking God in the midst of it. And so the contrast of this story a few chapters later with Jacob is there is no search for God. There's no praying to God. There's no, God, what should I do with this woman? It is only what we see here is attraction. And the Hebrew, in verse verse 17, you get more of this um, idea because it says in verse 17 that Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and in appearance. And basically... The Hebrew is literally, she had an attractive figure. She had an attractive body. Um, and even their names are clues to their appearance. Leah's name means wild ox or cow. Okay? And Rachel's name means ewe lamb. Okay? So, I, you know, it's kind of... Maybe it was like, we want her to be strong. We're going to name you wild ox. Um, and so... We also know that beauty has smitten him and he's just totally uh, head over heels and it's kind of become an idol because he makes rash decisions. Okay? So he goes to Laban. What does he say? I will serve you seven years for your daughter. Okay? And so um, he's going to just go the distance. Uh, he's he's also overwhelmed with, with sexual desire. Um, as you noted when I read verse 21, after the seven years were over and then after the one week with Leah, he's like, say, okay, now give me my wife. Like, so, so, uh, I want to lie with her. I want to go into her. And basically it's, it's a very bald sexual. It's, it's basically like, you know, can you imagine saying this to your father-in-law? I mean, just, it's, it's a very bold statement about, I would like to have sexual relationships with your daughter. And, uh, and so this is this is what's going on, um, and so uh, Robert Alter, this scholar, this Hebrew scholar, here's what he says: um, that the seven years' wages for Rachel was an enormous price for a bride. Uh, that they would never do that back then, um, and and then he also goes on to say that the Hebrew phrase. For let me lie with her is unusually bald, graphic, and sexual for ordinarily reticent ancient discourse. Imagine saying to a father-in-law today, "I can't wait to have sex with your daughter. Give her to me now." Um, and here's your knuckle sandwich. Uh, so, so we see that um, 
again, sexual attraction, the beauty thing, there's nothing wrong with that. That's how God has made people. He's made us different. He's made us to be attractive to one another. Um, that is fine. That is good. That is a good thing. Beauty is good. Don't, please do not hear, I'm saying like beauty is bad and he's, but what's going on here is it's become like an ultimate thing. It's become an ultimate thing for him. And, uh, it's taken over. We don't see him praying to the Lord for her. We don't see him, uh, going and uh, asking God. And so what's underneath? What's underneath that behavior? Uh, well, do you have, uh, that quote? Yeah, so this is from Keller's book. I love this quote. Why does he fall so hard? Why is it that like, oh, he's got to have the attractive woman. He's got to, and he just goes, falls, you know, face first. Jacob's life was empty. He never had his father's love. If you think about his life, he had lost his beloved mother's love. And he certainly had no sense of God's love and care. Then he beheld the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. And he, and he must have said to himself, if I had her, finally, something would be right in my miserable life. If I had her, it would fix things. All the longings of his heart for meaning and affirmation were fixed with Rachel. This is what the idolatry of, you know, we might say infatuation or beauty will do to you. It'll, it'll say, I've got to have that and this will be my salvation. And so, this is what happens to him. Um, he goes all in. Um, and so, you can see the idols of his heart. Is there a second quote there? Um, yeah. And so, and so, what about us? We do the same thing. If we don't have God at the center, if we don't have Jesus and His love for us and His ultimate security in our lives and the resources of knowing that, hey, I am loved, I, I am uh, loved by my God. He's a good father to me. Um, then we will be left with this void in our hearts where we will be trying to put in anything to save us. Okay? And so, um, what about the love, sick, sexual desires that can overwhelm us? Um, I think there's another quote, maybe. Yeah. Ernst Becker, in his book, The Denial of Death, speaks of how secular people in our culture deal with the loss of belief in God. One way people instill purpose and meaning is through romance and love. Becker calls it apocalyptic romance. We look to sex and romance to give us the transcendence and sense of meaning we used to get from faith in God. I mean, is this not what the um, the vampire... I mean, the books... What's that? Yeah, the Twilight... I mean, I have not read the Twilight series, but like I have heard a lot about them that it's very much this this you know this extreme attraction to you know this guy and like everything is it's just beautiful right but it's almost is it is it idolatry would you say is it an idolatrous kind of it's a transcendent you know sense of meaning like if i could just have that vampire right um everything would be good um, it's apocalyptic romance. That's what we want, right? That's what we all want. That's like, if I could just be loved and everything is just high at 10 all the time, then everything would be awesome. You know, that's what we long for. But, we can never get it. We can never get it. Because we're broken. And because 
our own hearts are fickle. And one day, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, the whole thing with Leah is that, you know, when he woke up, it was Leah. It's like, you know, he was deceived. But one of the things that Keller points out is we're always going to have those Leah moments in relationships. We're going to think, oh, this is the one. And like two months down the line, I'm not sure if this is the one. Like, I didn't know about that (laughs) with you. I didn't know about that. You didn't tell me that, okay? So we have these Leah moments. We have, it's always Leah. In the morning, it's always Leah. Like, it seems like it's going great. And then next thing you know, like, what in the world happened? What are we doing? Well, deep down in our, our hearts, we're saying, this person, this girl, this guy is going to be my ultimate salvation. And when they don't live up to my expectations, I get heartbroken and I want to leave or I want to split. The Gospel is saying, no, you're putting too much emphasis on that person. That person was never meant to be your Savior. Jesus was meant to be your Savior so that therefore you have the resources to love and to be committed and to serve somebody even when the Leah moments happen, which they always do in every relationship. If you have the Leah moment, you need to say, hold on. That's going to happen with anybody I date. It's going to happen with anybody I date. You're going to have the Leah moments where it's like, oh, this seems like totally wrong. Maybe it is. Maybe, you know, before God, as you pray and as you talk, maybe it is wrong. Maybe you shouldn't be together. But at the same time, what I want to tell you is the reality is when two sinners come together, there's going to be Leah moments for both people. And the question is, are you making an idol of that person? Or are you, are you resting in Jesus and His love for you? And then are you able to love and serve and work through the Leah moment? Okay? Um, and so, our culture is driven. Just to go back to this idea, you know, like beauty is, you know, obviously, we live in a culture of beauty. Of like, this is what we want. This is an extreme value of our culture. I mean, all you got to do is go downstairs, look at the magazine rack in the bookstore, right? You know, there's beautiful people on that, okay, with perfect bodies and, you know, air, you know, whatever, airbrushed, you know, figures and so forth. That we live in this culture, in this society where youth and beauty are highlighted. I mean, I don't even know what the statistics are for, you know, um, plastic surgery, you know, liposuction, you know, tummy tucks, boob jobs, all that kind of stuff. But you, you guys know that within the last 20 years, like that whole industry is just like, whoo, like gone crazy, right? I mean, that now, that in the 50s, we, we, we weren't doing this. In the 60s, right? This has all come about because youth and beauty have become supreme in our eyes. And people will do anything and they'll pay any amount of money to get it. This controls us. And it controls guys too, because what happens is, is when guys are like, all they see is like these like airbrushed, you know, models, magazines, et cetera, internet or whatever. Like then, then their whole like view of like, what is like, it becomes, that becomes like what they judge their girlfriends or their potential dates with. And this is, this is really wrecking a lot of our culture's relationships. Um, one of the Keller sermons I listened to, he talks about how the problem with this is it's kind of just like the Facebook thing, you know, like we, we keep, we, we want to put our best out there, you know, with our profile pictures and that sort of thing. Um, 
And when people come into a room, you know, if you came into a room, the problem with a lot of the guys today and girls today is they screen out 75 to 90% of the room right away. You know, if there's potential people to date in there, there's 20 in there, they're down to three pretty quickly. Okay? And then the three that they do find and they try to date, they try to like turn them into a friend versus like, and whereas there's probably a lot of people in there that you would really get along well with and have a lot in common and talk and really have deep intimacy in terms of like sharing and like views and all that kind of stuff. But you like totally screen them out because you're looking for the beauty idol. So this is real. I mean, this is real in my heart. I'm not, I'm not joking, guys. Um, this is real in all of our hearts. This is our culture that is saying, this is ultimate, and you need this to be ultimately happy. And God is giving something else here. He's saying, no, recognize what's going on here. This is the idol of beauty that is rearing its hand. Now, is there anything wrong with beauty? No, absolutely not. But we're making it ultimate. Um, so, I didn't even talk about some of the harder things that are out there. Uh, anorexia, bulimia, you know, exercise, like craziness, um, body image, all, the, all of these things that's going on. And so, the proverb says, you know, beauty is fleeting, charm is deceptive, but a woman that fears the Lord is to be praised. And so, the Lord desires us to look deeper. The Lord desires us to, to go for the true character, uh, to, to know those things. Okay, we got to go on. Um, the second big, the second big idol in this story is the idol of intimacy and romance. Okay, the 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 desire to be wanted, extremely wanted and loved, because this is the picture of Leah, and 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 Rachel. Okay, you have Leah, who is the one who is not loved by um, by Jacob, and she desires it so much. She's fruitful in her womb. She keeps having children. And she thinks that with the children, he'll finally really connect with me and love me like the number one woman that I want to be in his life. But she never can attain it. And so it's an amazing thing. She, she, uh, so as she, as she has these children, the names of the children reveal her heart. Okay, the names of the children reveal her heart. She was not happy. She felt unloved, unwanted, hated, not desired by her husband. And so she says, hey, well, I'm going to use children that are going to be what's going to win him back to me. And so the firstborn child is named Reuben. And his name means see. Like, hey, see, a son. Uh, in other words, um, it's like it says, you know, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. See? Look what I've done for you. I've given you a son. Reuben, see? Love me. Love me. Okay? No, he doesn't. Okay? Second son, Simeon, heard, is what his name means. Because the Lord has heard that I'm hated. He has given me this son also. In other words, hear this, Jacob. Look, God loves me. He's given me a son. Like, look what I've done for you. Love me. He doesn't. Third son, Levi. It means attached. She says, now this time, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. My husband will love me. My husband will be intimate with me. My husband will 
like really, truly romance me. Candlelight dinners, walks on the beach in the moonlight. It'll be awesome. Romantic love. He'll, he'll do it. And so, Levi means attached. But in each one, um, her heart is revealing that really what she wants is this only what God can give her. She wants this ultimate intimacy. She wants that you know, Twilight series kind of love. But Jacob doesn't change. Jacob doesn't give it to her. We really don't see him change. Um, but then something happens in between son three and four. Because when uh, after Levi is born, then Judah is born. And somewhere in between, something got a hold of Leah. I think she was converted to understand that, ah, my heart, I'm not, I need to be happy in God. I need to be happy in God. And so, Judah means um, happy. Uh, there's a seeking of God and being filled with God. Um, she conceived again and bore a son and said, quote, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And Judah's name is a play on the Hebrew word for praise. Joy, rejoicing, happy. Why? Because somehow she understood, like, my husband is never going to give me the kind of intimacy that I want. But the Lord has given me His love. And she senses that. And so now her heart is filled and she can praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. And she was filled with God. And this is really important because this goes right back to what we're talking about. Like, if intimacy, if, if I just got to have that romance, I just got to have that relationship it's got to be this close or or it's got to be this good or else it's all it's all going to be horrible you're overdoing it if you're taking every hollywood movie a chick flick that you see and it's like that's got to be in my relationship you're setting yourself up for like lots of failure you're setting yourself up for lots of heartbreak because um we're not a hollywood movie Guys are not Hollywood movies. Girls are not Hollywood movies. Um, the answer for us again and again is that we see that emptiness and we see what we're doing. We recognize our idolatry. And we say, no, I need Christ. I need the living God to be in the center of my life so that I'm not controlled by all of these idols that are vying for my attention. And I can, I can love this person even when the relationship isn't going that well. I, I can serve this person and I can lay down my life for them and I can, I can continue to be consistent and communicate and work through problems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, that's what it means to, to grow up. That's what it means to have God at your center and then also be able to be in a relationship. And so, um, what's the answer for a healthy, balanced relationship? Love God first. Love God. Seek the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Um, find your ultimate intimacy, your beauty, your wonder in Jesus. I mean, that's why we worship here. We try to say, okay, let's get our eyes on Jesus for a while. Let's get our eyes up there and say, like, look, He loves you. He died for you. He wants you. He's there for you. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And then it says, all these things will be added to you. But if you switch the, you know, you put the, the cart before the horse, so to speak, and you're saying, relationship, 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 this is my ultimate. And God's way back here. It's not going to work. You're going to just be frustrated again and again and again. So run to your true bride. 
okay, who never turns away. Jesus, the bridegroom, okay, the one who left heaven for you, got in the dirt for you, went to the cross for you. The third idol, the family idol. Oh, how can family? Family is what it's all about, right? Focus on the family. Um, but even family, even these good things like family can become idolatrous in our lives. And this is Rachel's issue. Okay, so we've dealt with we've dealt with Jacob's issue, we've dealt with Leah's issue, and now we got Rachel's issue. There's a deep heart <laughs> issue going on. She has her husband's love. She's number one. She has no children. And back in the day, at that time, that is a major trial. Because women's status, women's retirement, women's blessing was all if you could have children. That was that was their that was everything to them in that traditional culture. And and so Rachel is envious of her sister in thirty verse one. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. That's an ultimatum. <laughs> Give me children or I shall die. So that that's where you can see that's idolatry. Okay, when you're saying ultimatums and I'm going to die if I don't have that. So this is deep in her in her heart. Your, her worth as a woman is all bound up in like she's got to have children. And uh, um, even Jacob's love, you know, could not reach that place in her heart. You know, even though he loved her best, it didn't it didn't reach her brokenness in that area. And so she has a big plan. She starts throwing her servants, Billa and Zilpah, at her husband, and she tries to build the family through them. And she has, you know, Dan and Naphtali and and uh, Gad and Asher. And then, then there's the Mandrake plan. I said that was aphrodisiac. So the Mandrake was literally a uh, a Cialis of the ancient times. Um, and there, so there's this desire to get these Mandrakes from Reuben. Uh, and so, what does she do in exchange? Well, in exchange for the mandrakes, she gives her sister, the second place wife, back to Jacob. But nothing works. But then at the end of this story, finally, there's something that happens. Finally, at the end, the Lord looks on favor and she opens the womb of of Rachel. And... It's all of God. It's not her. Um, it says that... Um, if I can find it. Then, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, May the Lord add to me another son. And so... The point here is that in the midst of all this pain, in the midst of all this brokenness, that God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and God opened her womb. It was all grace. It was God, God, God doing all these things for her. In the midst of her sin, in the midst of all her plottings, in the midst of her messed up life, the Lord added to her a real son. And... She calls his name Joseph um, because her reproach was taken away. And so, 
you know, each of us has a hole. Each of us has relational de- deficiencies. We have intimacy issues. We have romance desires. We have uh, beauty desires. We have family idolatry. I mean, all we have to do is open a Bible, but we look at our own hearts and we see this stuff uh, here. And so, the key here is is that all of this is pointing to our emptiness and there's only one hope. It's only in the Gospel. It's, a, it's only in Jesus. And so, the amazing thing about this story is, underlying the whole thing is, what's, what family is being built right here? The twelve tribes of Israel. Okay? This is Jacob's twelve tribes. One of them is Judah. Okay? One of the children. And through the line of Judah, the Lord Jesus is going to come. And He is going to reconcile all this junk in all of these relationships and all these families. So this is the amazing, beautiful, wonderful thing about the Gospel. To shout. Is that in the midst of all of your and mine brokenness in relationships and all this idolatry and everything, God is working His plan. And He's ultimately bringing the Lion of Judah and the Lord Jesus Christ through this crazy, mixed up, weird, broken family. This is the ancient family that becomes the modern family and ultimately the Lord Jesus. Okay? Comes through this family to save us. The twelve tribes are right here in this messed up thing that I just read you. This is craziness. And through that comes the Lord Jesus because He comes for the broken. Okay? He comes for the messed up, idolatrous people like us to give us hope. That's the big story here. Jacob's family's messed up. We're just like Jacob. But God brings about Judah and the Lord Jesus to save us and to give us hope and to give and to fill our hearts with Himself so that we are not these needy, needy people that are like blowing up relationships everywhere. So that we can be stable in Christ, so that we can have the capacity to love other people even when it's hard and serve. C.S. Lewis said this, okay? I should have put this on there. Most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that what they what they do want and what want acutely. Something that cannot be had in this world. Okay, so think about those idols, relationship idols. There are all sorts of things in this world that offered to give it to us, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country, a trip... Or first, take up some subject that excites us, your major. Or longings which no marriage. These are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I am now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages. I'm not talking about unsuccessful marriages or holidays or careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we have grasped at at that first moment of longing which just fades away in reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and the scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. And C.S. Lewis is getting at it. It's the hole in our hearts that we're trying to fill in, and if we don't put Jesus in there, it's all going to crumble. It's all going to crumble. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for this night, 
I know it's been kind of a, a weird night, but thank you that you are in the middle of it. You're working your plan of salvation through messed up families. We thank you for that hope that we're not in this alone, that you give so much grace and mercy and love. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Help us to reorient ourselves there, to know his love, his intimacy, his beauty, so that therefore we are not just caught up in the idols of our hearts or of our culture. Let it be, Lord, and we pray that in Christ's name. Amen.